pray. Father, thankful for our Savior, thankful that He left His throne in heaven where He deserved and was seen um, as the great and glorious one, and He left that in order to be humiliated. He left it in order to serve us by giving His life as a ransom for many, and uh, we're grateful that He did that. He was humble enough to do so and, and to care about us us enough and also to be willing to obey what you uh, expected of him and we pray this evening as we reflect on your word that that it would come alive through the power of your spirit that we would see it as true and see specific ways in which we can apply it to our lives in Jesus name amen tonight we're going to finish first Corinthians chapter 9 so let me invite you to turn in your Bibles there first Corinthians chapter 9 what happens when you make something your primary goal? If something becomes your primary goal, everything else becomes secondary. So, for example, suppose your goal is to take a trip to California for vacation. What needs to happen in order for you to have a relaxing vacation in California? Can you wait until the day before you are supposed to go and decide then? Okay, now i got to figure out how I'm going to get there. No, you have to determine what's necessary in order that, that when the time comes that you're ready. So it requires a lot of preparation. You have to determine when to go, how long to go, where to stay, how to get there, what places you plan to visit while there. And so in order to be able to adequately prepare, it's going to require you to give up something that you otherwise would have, for example, your time you otherwise could have used that for something else. Something that is of value to you. Why? Because you have a primary goal that you've got your eyes fixed on. You want to get out of the cold of Michigan and into the warmth of, let's say, Southern California. And so for the next several months leading up to the vacation, you furiously plan your trip. You buy the plane tickets. You rent a condo, a rental car, whatever. And people might look at you and say, well, why don't you ever come over for coffee? Or why don't you watch, uh, you know, the, this this uh, your favorite sports team? And you say, well, I'm planning a trip to California, and so this takes priority. Those other things are secondary or ancillary. And this type of planning and prioritizing happens in every area of our, our lives that we're concerned about. Whether it be baking a huge dinner for guests, we have to prioritize. That's going to happen. This, is, this, this date is coming. I need to be ready for that time. Or graduating from college, or preparing for a wedding, whatever it is, we determine what our goal is, the means to that goal, and then we prioritize everything else is, is really focused or set aside for the purpose of reaching that goal. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul has decided on his goal. And he has determined the means that he needs in order to get to that goal. And so he has made that his his priority. And so he prioritizes his life around what he desires most. So we would do well to listen to, to him, to ultimately to the Holy Spirit, as, um, as he teaches us tonight. So let me read our text for us beginning in verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Word of God. 
For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the game in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul sees as his highest priority the gospel, and I think that's uh, the point of the text here, that the gospel is our highest priority. It ought to be our highest priority. The gospel is our highest priority. And basically, in these two little paragraphs, Paul summarizes his whole idea in verse 23. So let's start there. Verse 23, Paul's personal motto He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul's personal motto is that the gospel is my highest priority. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. In the first part of chapter 9, Paul made a a claim of of apostleship. And he also claimed he spent a long time working on this idea that he deserved to be paid for his ministry. But after building this big argument with examples from life and examples from the Old Testament law and from a, and then a command from Christ, in verses 15 through 18 he says, but I'm giving up that right. So you must or you, I have the right to receive money from you. And in fact, I have the right to bring a, a wife with me. And you, you should pay for her as well if, if I were married. But, but after he sets all that up, he says, but I... Set aside that right for the sake of the gospel because I don't want to do anything that would hinder the gospel. Let's look back up to verse 12 just to remind ourselves of what's going on there. If others share the right over you, that is to be paid, do we not mourn? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So you see how that kind of ties in with what we're looking at tonight? His goal is to see the gospel of Christ advance in himself and others around him and then to reach the lost. And in order for that gospel not to end up becoming a stumbling block, he says, I I just set aside this right to receive money. The gospel for him is the driving motivation for everything that he does in his life. In verse 23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. It's like if your greatest desire is to win an NBA championship, then every decision you make from the time that you wake up in the morning till the time that you go to bed at night, from January till December, has to do with that goal in view. I want to win an NBA championship and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there within the rules. 
So I'm going to use my time throughout the day to train. I'm going to look at film. I'm going to think strategy. I'm going to work on my mechanics. I'm going to push my body. I'm going to give my body rest when it needs rest. I'm going to push myself during the game. I'm going to push my teammates. I'm going to listen to my coaches. When I'm at home, I'm going to avoid anything that would endanger my physical well-being. For Paul, his greatest desire is not to win an NBA championship. It's to see the gospel take deeper root in himself. It's, it's to see the, the gospel take root in believers and to spread to more and more people. Notice the end of verse 23. So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul knows that if he's going to partake of the gospel, then he must persevere in the gospel. In other words, only those who work for the gospel or see the gospel as glorious and who are working on behalf of the gospel are the ones who have really received the gospel. This doesn't mean that you have to be in ministry in order to have received the gospel. What, he, what he's saying is, is he makes it his priority so that whatever he's doing in life, the gospel is at the center. All those who are partakers of the gospel will persevere in the gospel. For Paul, that was his highest priority. So how does making the gospel our highest priority change our lives? What does that look like? And the answer is on either side of verse 23. There's two parts to this. So first, when the gospel is our highest priority, we are willing to give up personal rights. Verses 19 through 22. When the gospel is our highest priority, we are willing to give up personal rights. And this is very similar to what we've already seen in chapters 8 and the first part of chapter 9, right? I will happily give up meat, Paul says at the end of chapter 8, if it's going to cause a stumbling block if it's going to become a hindrance, if it's going to cause someone else to sin, I'll happily give that up. Even though I know there's nothing inherently sinful in eating meat, even though it's sacrificed to idols. I'm happy, I will happily give it up. Why? Because the gospel is more important than my taste buds. So what does it look like? Paul begins by giving uh, the principle that he lives by in verse 19, and then he illustrates it in verses 19 and 20, and then he concludes at the end of verse 22 and restates it. So let's look at that. First, he states this principle that he lives by. Verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. So here he does something, and then notice that phrase, so that, purpose, I may win more. Then look at the end of verse 22, same idea. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So his principle by which he lives because the gospel is the highest priority for him is that he will personally inconvenience himself so that more people will come to Christ or that more people will be grounded in the gospel because the gospel has more effect than, than just on unbelievers. Right? The gospel is not just for unbelievers. It's also for us believers. In fact, it's for Paul as well. So if, if the gospel is going to take deeper root in the lives of believers and it's going to reach out to unbelievers, then I will personally inconvenience myself in order to see that happen. And what Paul's saying is what he said already. So he's just repeating himself. He's saying, listen, I have rights in verse 19. I am free. I have liberty. Right? I have freedom. But I'm ha- I will happily give those things up because there's something of greater value. Right? It's like that trip to California. I will happily give up some of these other things that I enjoy because there's something of greater value to me. 
Notice the second line of verse 19. I made myself a slave to all so that so that I may win more. So I have become all things so that by all means, at the end of verse 22, all means I will save some. Paul says I'm giving up what I deservedly could accept, could, could enjoy to the glory of God. I'm giving that up so that some people will be saved, so that the gospel will take root. So what about us? Are there any rights that, that we would be willing to give up in order to gain something that is more valuable? I mean, we don't really think on these terms. But what kind of rights would you be willing to give up to, to gain something of more value? Let me use an example. Would you give up your right to personal safety? First of all, do we have a right to personal safety? Sure. Okay, we have a right to personal safety. We can, we can desire to, to hold on to that and, and to be safe from harm from outside of us. And so we do all sorts of things to protect ourselves from that. But would we be willing to give up our right to personal safety in order to rescue a child who is in danger? I mean, imagine your child is hanging from a cliff. Would you stand there 10 feet away and say, you know what? I have my rights. I have my rights to stay here and do nothing, to, to personal safety. I'm not going anywhere near that edge. No, you give up what is rightfully yours so that you could rescue your child in danger. And Paul's saying, listen, I have something of greater value than these things that I could enjoy to the glory of God. I'm going to set those aside because I value the gospel more and it taking root. Notice how it's illustrated in three ways. Verse 20, uh, he illustrates this principle as it relates to Jews. Then verse 21, as it relates to Gentiles. And then verse 22, as as it relates to um, those who are weak. So first, as it relates to the Jews in verse 20. Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. So what is he saying here? Well, Paul is, what ethnicity is he by birth? He's Jewish. Okay, He's 100% Jewish. So what is he saying when he says, I became as a Jew? Any ideas? Okay, he's taking on their Jewish customs. So what, is he, what, what could he have done if he wanted to? could have ignored all the Jewish customs, right? That's why he says at the end of the verse, right? To those who are under the law, still speaking of Jewish people, I believe, I act as under the law, though not, I myself not under the law. So I know that I'm not under the Mosaic law. Right? He's going to go on to say in verse 21 that I'm under the law of Christ. But I'm going to, to personally give up those rights to, to be free from that and re-enslave myself that's the word he used in verse 19, right? I'm going to re-enslave myself to something that I don't have to. Why? What's the reason? Verse 20, look at the end. So that I might win those who are under the law. I just want to win a few. So I'm willing to obey some commands that I don't have to obey, that aren't required of me, so that I can win a few. So here's an example. What does Paul think of circumcision after he comes to Christ? Galatians 6.15, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Right? 
Right? What matters is that we obey Christ. That's the main thing. So, neither of those things matter. And yet, in Acts 16, he tells Timothy, you need to be circumcised. Why? Well, Timothy was a Samaritan, effectively. His mother was a Jew, and his father was a Gentile, but he was never circumcised. And apparently his father wanted to raise him up in the Gentile ways. seems like his father's probably an unbeliever. His mother clearly was a believer, according to 1 Timothy. Okay? But he's never circumcised. Paul says, listen, I, I need you to, to do something that you otherwise would be free not to do. To refuse, right? Why? What was the first thing that Paul did when he would go into a city? Go to the synagogue. What might the synagogue rulers and the other Jews think if Paul brought in with him a Samaritan, a Gentile? What would they think? Okay, what's going to be the topic of conversation? Well, that guy. Are you kidding me? You bringing this guy in here? What does that say about you, Paul? Paul's like, you know what? It doesn't really matter whether he's circumcised or not. So just do it. Why? So that when we get to the synagogue, the primary focus of our conversation will not be that, but the gospel. So, Paul was willing to adopt Jewish customs. Uh, he did the same thing at the end of his third missionary journey. Remember when he came to Jerusalem, he performed these purification rituals, which he didn't have to do. He said, you know what? I'm free from that. I'm free from the Mosaic Law. But he did it because he didn't want the Jewish, even the Jewish Christians there to think uh, less of him or to think less of the Gospel. Because their, their conscience was still weak. So Paul's saying, I, become, I became as a Jew. I took on the Jewish customs. Not in opposition to God. Not, not, not re-enslaving himself and, and um, disenfranchising himself from the law of Christ. Not, not in any means. He's still under the law of Christ. But he's saying, in these debatable issues where people don't fully understand, you know, I recognize there's nothing to it, but, but I'm happy to, to obey those just for the sake of reaching them. Verse 21, illustration as it relates to the Gentiles. So, to those who are without law, the Gentiles, I act, I live as without the law. And then he says, even though I'm not antinomian, I'm not without law. It's not that I don't have any laws. I'm under the law of Christ. But why? Why do this? Why, when you're with the Gentiles, you don't, don't force all these Jewish things on them? Why? Well, because I want to reach these people. I don't want that to be the, the bone of of contention between us. Verse 22, those who are weak. Could be talking about weak, conscienced Christians or could be just uh, people who are weak in their minds before coming to Christ. Seems like they're unbelievers because he says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. And the winning seems to be winning them to Christ, um, which would be consistent with verses 20 and 21. So Paul's saying, I, I, I'm willing to stoop to, to someone who doesn't fully understand in order that I might win, win them. And all this fits in with what Paul's been saying to the Corinthians who, who claim their rights. Remember? This is one of the reasons Paul write, wrote the letter. We know our rights. We know what we can do. We can eat meat. And we'll do it flippantly and carelessly and we don't care who's watching. 
Paul says you can't do that. Because we have a higher authority. We have a higher goal. And love means that we are willing to give up personal rights for the sake of others so that we can allow them to receive what is best for them. And that is the gospel. So when the gospel is our highest priorities, we will give up personal rights. But not only that, on the other side of verse 23, when the gospel is our highest priority, we, will em- we are willing to embrace hardship. Verses 24 through 27. We, we are willing to embrace hardship. So the opposite of hardship is, the opposite of embracing hardship is pursuing comfort. In our culture, we love recreation and comfort. It almost becomes an idol for us. Right? You have people who are just living for retirement or they're, they're living for the weekend or they're living for the vacation. All the work that they put in is all about that. And so it be, can become an idol. And sometimes even for us as Christians, if anyone gets in the way of our personal comfort or recreation, we, we explode. And by nature, we don't like hardship. We want to avoid hardship at all costs. But Paul embraces hardship for the sake of the gospel. And what his point here is that is that when it comes to pursuing our highest authority, then we, we must have self-control. And so that's why he uses this running analogy. I also use the boxing one, but the running analogy is a good one. Right? The runner has the right, he has the freedom, the liberty to eat sweets. He has the right to eat large amounts of bread, but he limits himself. He does it through self-control. Why? Because he wants to win a prize. When Paul was warned by his friends at the end of his third missionary journey in Ephesus, speaking to the elders there, and they said, Paul, you can't go there. You cannot go to Jerusalem because if you go, it will not end well. Here's his response. Acts 21.13 What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He, he was so intent on getting the gospel to the Jews in Jerusalem that he said, I am willing to go to prison or to die if necessary. You see what he's done here? He's moved up the gospel not only above you know, personal rights, but actually above life itself. The gospel is more important than my life. I'm willing to go there and die if it's necessary. Notice the principle in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the pride? prize? And then here's the principle at the end of verse 24. Run in such a way that you may win. So if you have a goal to run in a race, then, especially to win the race, then you abstain from breads and sugars and whatever, fried foods. And you train your body so that you can win the race. But if you don't care about winning, then you eat whatever you want. You don't train. You, 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 um, you, just, you just live however you want. And so... For us, if, if our goal is to see the gospel take root and spread rapidly and be glorified, then, then we will be concerned that we, with our actions, could possibly cause a stumbling block 
to a weaker brother or to someone who's on the brink of salvation. We will be concerned about bringing unnecessary offense to the gospel. We will claim and embrace. Uh, uh, we will claim and embrace this this highest goal that we have, rather than claiming and embracing all of our free, freedoms and just using them however we we want. Verses 25 to 27, we have much more at stake than a runner does. Right? For a runner, during Paul's time, he's talking probably about the Isthmian Games, which would happen every two years. And they took place right there in Corinth. The victor of the race would get a wreath. But notice what kind of wreath it is at the end of verse 25, a perishable wreath. It was a, a crown of foliage that would wither up and die eventually. And he's saying... They work their hearts out. They give up so much for that perishable crown. That which is passing away. We have a much greater prize that we are running for. It's a long-lasting, eternal crown of glory. Something that cannot wither and die. Something that cannot be taken away from us. And therefore, what kind of effort should we put into obtaining our prize? That's the point. what the end of verse 25 says, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. And therefore, we must keep our goal in view. Look at verse 26. So we should run as not without aim. But we shouldn't run aimlessly. Like, imagine a drunk person getting up to the starting line of a marathon. Okay, kind of just bouncing here and there and not really going in the right direction at times. That's not how we run. We, we run as with a purpose. We have a goal in mind. Everything that we have is engaged in the race. And we stay focused like a boxer at the end of verse 26 who doesn't beat the air. He's not a shadow boxer. He's actually hitting his target. Paul says in verse 27, I discipline my body and make it my slave. So here, he's not talking about spiritual discipline. I know this verse often gets used to say, you know, we ought to discipline our bodies for the sake of, of spiritual, uh, our spiritual well-being. And I think there's certainly we could probably apply it that way, but that's not Paul's point. Paul's saying that just as an athlete goes through physical training that is sometimes uncomfortable in order to attain the goal of victory, so Paul also takes on discomfort, hardship, spiritually in order to, to obtain the prize, the advancement of the gospel. So that when he has preached to others, look at the end of the verse, he himself will not be disqualified. Now, this is a tough, this is a tough one to interpret. Uh, wrestled with this a little bit this week. And it and, uh, could be that he loses his, his reward, right? It, it certainly can't mean that he lost his salvation, right? That he... He was a Christian, then he didn't do well enough, so then he lost his salvation. That certainly can't be the case because of John 10, Romans 8, and other places. But it could be to say that, you know, he really was never in the race because he never finished the race. So he's saying, I'm going to finish. And it seems to be, that seems to be consistent with what chapter 10 is talking about. That is the possibility of being destroyed spiritually. The possibility of, of falling away because we never were in the race. 
it's a warning against eternal destruction. And so we want to we wanna be focused on the Gospel. We want to have our focus on the Gospel. Whatever the case, Paul is willing to give up his personal rights and he's willing to embrace hardship so that the Gospel can be his priority. The Gospel has become his priority so those other things kind of are set aside. You know, my right to not endure hardship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that off the pedestal of, of my greatest desire, move it down. It's not as important. So let me give you a principle and an application. Principle, I think, is drawn from the text and so in some ways should be a summary of what we're looking at and therefore authoritative. The application, typically when I do these, okay, these applications are just my thoughts on how we can apply it. These are not inspired by God. Now, hopefully, you know, I've been thinking through the text uh, for a couple weeks now and hopefully um, with my desire to, to apply it to myself and, and to see you apply it, then hopefully these applications are also from God. But, but sometimes what happens, just a quick aside and with regard to preaching, sometimes what happens is we expect that everything that a pastor says is authoritative. And what I want you to see is that everything that comes from the text is authoritative. How we apply it is different. Okay, because I, I might apply, um, you know, husbands love your wife. The, w- the way I might apply that is by uh, buying some flowers. But for you, it might be something different. Or somebody in a different culture, that doesn't mean they have to apply it that way, right? So there could be different applications. I try to make these applications so that they fit all of us. Or when necessary, I, I try to just clarify when I'm talking about a specific people, uh, section of people within our congregation. But just want to make that clear. I think these principles, um, when we consider these at the end of the text, come from what we've studied. The application is, is um, kind of my thinking on on um, on how to how to how to put this into practice. All right. So first principle. Embracing hardship is part of the Christian life. And so, really, when we came to Christ, we may not have initially recognized this. You know, we, we don't really see this in the tracts that we're given, um, that, that it's going to be, that it is with much tribulation that, that we will enter the kingdom of God, right? Acts, or John 16, uh, that is Acts 14, 22. Or, as Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage because I have overcome the world. Or 2 Timothy 3, indeed all who desire live, to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we, we don't have that on the front sign of our church. We don't tell people that, you know, usually when we're just coming to Christ, and I'm not suggesting that we do. But they should have some in, indication that there, there is a counting of the cost right, when they come to Christ. And so this, when we signed up to become a Christian, yes, our yoke is easy and, our, our, and Christ, Christ's yoke is easy and His burden is light, but, but there's still a yoke there, isn't there? And there's still a burden that we have to bury, to, to, to carry. Um, and um, so we can't minimize the fact that there are going to be tribulations and when we sign up to be a Christian, in fact, many will hate us because of Christ. Right? We, in many ways, stand in His place and take the blows that were meant for Him. Like the first century church that Paul was persecuting, right? They were standing in for Jesus and taking the blows. And so when Jesus stopped Saul there, He said, Saul, why are you persecuting Me? See, Saul was persecuting Christ, 
And he was doing it by means of the church. So they were standing in his place. And so that is part of the Christian life. But Paul is saying more than that. He's not simply saying expect hardship. That is true. We should expect hardship. He's saying embrace hardship so that the gospel can progress even more through you. So just as an athlete goes through physical and emotional hardship in order to attain a goal of victory, so Paul endures physical and emotional hardship and gives up the right of his material support. I have the right to receive this support. Why? Because I have a higher priority. I want to see the gospel advance. I don't want to see any stumbling block come for me. When Michael Phelps trains for the Olympics, he lifts weights three days a week and he swims eight miles per day for six days. And I get tired just driving five miles per day. He's swimming eight miles a day. And in many of his training exercises, he he also restricts his breathing so that he can strengthen his lungs. Why would he go through all that pain? Why would he put his body through so much torture and anguish, soreness? The answer is that he has his eyes fixed on a goal, doesn't he? What does he want to win? He wants to win gold. And so he will do whatever it takes because gold is, is his focus, his highest priority. He will do whatever it takes within the rules to reach that goal. And the fact is that Michael Phelps has liberty. He has freedoms. He has rights to spend his time however he wants. He could go and, and veg out on the recliner in his theater room in his house. He could stay out late at clubs with his friends. He could go to the beach every day and just take in the sun. He has rights to all those things, but he sets those all aside so that he can get something that he values more, even though it costs him personal comfort and 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 the refusal of those other things that he could enjoy. He values something much more than those things, and that is the gold medal. And Paul's doing something much more significant here. He's not working for something that's going to pass away like a gold medal. But he does have a goal. The finish line for Paul is the spreading of the gospel so that he can receive an imperishable wreath. And the means or plans necessary to get to that goal is that he is going to remove whatever hindrances. He, he knows what his rights are, but any hindrances that, that could possibly uh, slow another person down or cause them to sin or stumble or keep an unbeliever from accepting the gospel, he's willing to set those aside because he prioritizes, prioritizes his life around his goal. And people might say, Paul, why are, why are you not accepting money from churches? You spend your time sharing the gospel. You have a right to receive support. Paul, why don't you ever spend time in recreation? Paul, why do you sacrificially serve all these different people groups? Why do you discipline your body so much? Giving up all the comforts that you deserve. And Paul's reply would be what we've seen today in verse 23. I do all things for the sake of what? The gospel. Now, When Paul says, I want to be all things to all men, he's not saying, I'm going to change the gospel. So, you know this part about sin and judgment? We'll just leave that part out because I want to be all things to all men. And these people over here, they don't like sin and judgment part. 
So we'll just leave that part. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that 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 is still necessary for the gospel to actually be received. He's not going to change the gospel. But all these other things, those are not necessary. Whether he's following Jewish customs, whether he's he's not under the law, he's happy to give those things up, but he's not changing the gospel. He's not accommodating people's beliefs. He's not watering down the gospel. So, as Christians, we ought to recognize that that hardship is part of the Christian life. And so, we should do more than just expect it. We should embrace it. It doesn't mean we go out and seek trials or we seek people to start throwing stones at us or something. Paul also says in another place, seek peace with all men, if possible. Okay, so, that's not the point. It is that, that I'm willing to give up personal freedoms and make my life more uncomfortable so that the gospel will advance. So, Here's how I think we can apply it. We must make our personal freedoms subordinate to the the advancement of the gospel. So again, if we're putting this on a list, personal freedoms, gospel. We need to flip that, don't we? Gospel needs to be our priority so that my personal freedoms are not what's driving me. I need to have my recreation. I need to have my comfort. I'm going to set that aside so that the gospel can advance. And so that means we need to structure every aspect of our lives around the gospel. And I think that requires that we ask ourselves some hard questions. What is most important in my life? Kind of a hard question to ask ourselves because sometimes we can even deceive ourselves as to what we value most. Maybe it would be better to ask someone that, that knows us well. And based on how I spend my money how I spend my time, what I think about when I have downtime. What is it that's driving me right now? What am I living for? How is it that I make the gospel my finish line goal like Paul did? What, What types of activities or attitudes are there in my life that are hindering the presentation of the gospel? There's something that's keeping me from reaching more people. Maybe it's my apathy. You know, I just don't care. That person comes to Christ, they come to Christ. Great. Maybe it's my laziness. You know, I know I need to, but I, it's too much work. Maybe it's my pride. You know, I mean, God came and saved me, but that made sense. For them, they're a much worse sin- sinner than I was. You see what we've done? You know, if, if the gospel is not the center of our lives, then, then what we've done is we've actually filled up our lives with so many things that have little or no eternal significance, and as a result, we've got no room for what's most important. So let me ask you, what personal rights do you have that you're not willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Maybe it's your Sunday morning your Sunday evening. You know, I have the right to do X. Maybe it's your time with friends. You know, I have the right to spend some time with them. Maybe it's a particular kind of music. Maybe it's the the freedom that you have to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And, you know, if I put myself out there for the gospel, and that, for example, if I start developing a relationship with somebody with 
and start telling them, you know, you can ask me a question if you want, or we can talk about this, we can meet, then you know what? That might tie me down. I might have to give up a night that I was planning to enjoy myself. What personal rights do you have that you're not willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Maybe it's your health, you know, or your sleep. Maybe it's your right to be promoted in your company, you know, so I'm going to spend all my time on my work. And I, I know if I just cut back my hours, then I could have more time for my neighbor or my family member or, you know, this person out in, out in the community, but, but I don't. I, I'm too busy. What about your weekends? You know, I have the right to have one day free, so to just not think about anything gospel. So that's my day. How different would Paul's life be if he were more concerned about the temporal satisfactions? You know, I know the Jews need the gospel, but if they want it, they're going to have to hear it from someone else. I mean, I know those people that are under the law. I could, you know, take a step in their direction. But how foolish are they? They'll never get it. Why bother? Paul would say, you know, I really really want me to be honest. I do all things for the sake of my own comfort. If people are saved, then great. But, But my goal is my own personal comfort. So I would say to you that the time to make a choice about what is most important is now. You know, if we're preparing a big dinner, can't wait till time. The dinner guests arrive. There's a lot of preparation, right? We make that a goal, and we're going to prepare for that. So I would say if we have a goal of, of, of making the gospel our priority, if we make the gospel our priority, if, we, if the, the goal is to reach people, to win some, then it requires some preparation before we get there. We can't wait until the gun is fired at the starting line to remove our hindrances. We can't wait until that opportunity to witness comes. We have to be ready. Now we need to prepare in advance. And that means, you know, even if it's not actually talking to someone, it's actually giving up personal comfort so I can study more on how I can be a better communicator of the gospel. How I can... uh, remove some of these things that are hindering me from advancing in the gospel, right? Like I've got all these weights that are besetting me, Hebrews chapter 12. I need to set those aside because I'm actually slowing down. I'm actually hindering the the, the message of the gospel because when people look at me, I'm saying one thing, but then they're looking at my life and it's completely different, right? And it requires that we give up some personal rights. We we make some personal sacrifices that we have regular spiritual discipline that that we have personal and spiritual growth. The fact is the hardships will come and we ought to embrace it. We we of all people ought to be people who, who regularly inconvenience ourselves so that the gospel is made known to others. And was it very convenient for Christ? I think, well, wait a second, he's God. I mean, what else could he do? But but Paul uses him as an example for us of what humility looks like. So so I think it's okay to, to use that high of an example for us. Was it very convenient of Christ to leave heaven so that the gospel could be made known to us?
And, and Paul takes on that same kind of mindset. Because I want to win some. And set, out, set aside whatever is hindering me from getting there. Because I want to win that prize. I want to be a partaker in the gospel. Alright, any questions or comments? Yeah. Yeah, that that definitely has some merit. I I don't think I saw any commentaries that said that, but um, there you go. Can you can you start a commentary, Melissa? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to think about. I think. Providentially, I think God allowed us to be here at this time because you know, we've got a new year starting and this kind of when we make some new resolutions, even if we don't do it formally, we kind of think, okay, what, what is it that needs to change? You know, some, A lot of times at this time of the year, I'm taking stock of what's happened in the last year, what, what kind of strengths and weaknesses I have, what, what things need to change, what I need to improve upon. And um, I think any time we talk about evangelism, we can always say, well, we definitely could do more. And uh, and the reason for that is because we we maybe are starting to cling to some of these things that that don't matter as much, and takes passages like this to just to wake us up a little bit and say, okay, get my eyes back on on the prize because you know like for the runner the donuts and stuff they they have some temporary satisfaction but but if they if I want to get to my prize. I need to set those aside, even though I have the right to eat a donut every now and then, right? Bob? Yeah, I want, that's, uh, that's interesting. Things that you don't want to regret. Uh, just remind me of, uh, if you ever talk to a Christian as they're getting close to heaven, death, um, it's amazing the kind of things that they think back because they kind of are doing a review of their life and what was of value. I remember my dad when he was uh, probably the last week before he died, he said, I wish I would have prayed more. And so it's like, Man, it seems so simple, and you know, it's like if I had to do it over again, that's what I would do. Is what he was saying, and and uh, and of all the things that he could have said, he's a weak man uh, spiritually, not not perfect, but um, a giant for me spiritually. But but I mean, he was still imperfect, had lots of weaknesses, and and yet that was the thing for him. Could probably go list a number of things, but that was. That was the thing. So, yeah, that's uh, 
that's that's a good way to to think about goals. What is it I wouldn't regret? What what do I want to have at the end of my life that's still of great value? You know, like something that can't be taken away. That's what Jesus says, right? You know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust but do not corrupt, where thieves can't break in and steal. And I think we make the gospel our primary um, goal, then, then we're going to have all sorts of treasures as a result of that, including real people, right, that have come to Christ um, by the power of the Spirit. All right, well, let's spend the rest of our time praying and it'd be good to maybe uh, let's take the first couple minutes and just write down two or three names. Maybe as you're thinking, you know, this, these are some people that I could have, I could do more with. You know, maybe even just pray for them. So maybe over the next week, I'm going to pray for them every day or something like that. You don't have to make a full commitment, but would you just write down two names and, and maybe we can pray with you tonight together?